Greetings and welcome. My name is James White. We have been joining together to study the Bible, not just what the Bible teaches, but what the Bible teaches about itself, its inspiration, why we would even believe that God has spoken to us and He has revealed Himself in Scripture. We've also been looking at some of the historical issues in relationship to the Bible, where the Bible came from, how it was transmitted to us. And just recently, we've been looking at the subject of the Gnostic Gospels. We've been looking at the fact that in the second century especially, there were those who wrote Gospels to compete with the biblical Gospels. Those Gospels plainly show evidence of familiarity with the canonical Gospels. We know that those which came from the first century, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, even the information found in the Apostle Paul, came from the first century. These come later. They show familiarity with that, but they're trying to present a new kind of religious belief, and so they contradict certain elements of the Christian faith in those writings. And so we've looked at the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. We've seen that Gnosticism as a whole is very contrary to that which is found in the Bible. And so when we find scholars today seeking to overthrow the teachings of Jesus, seeking to disturb the faith of Christians, we see that they're relying upon really another religion, a religion that came along and, and tried to absorb elements of Christianity, but is fundamentally different in its very heart than that which we find in Judaism and in Christianity and the great monotheistic religions of the world. But there are other books that have been written over the course of history uh, that likewise seek to uh, address the subject of Jesus from other perspectives. And specifically, there are some books that are very modern in their origination, modern in the sense that uh, they are not ancient, they don't go back to the first or second century. Instead, they go back to maybe the 14th, 15th, and 16th centuries, long, long after the time of Jesus Christ, and yet pretend to give the story of Jesus. One of those books is called The Gospel of Barnabas. The Gospel of Barnabas. Uh, this is a book that is known in only one manuscript in the Italian language. There is some discussion of a, a Spanish translation of it at one point, but this is a book that the vast majority of scholars, no matter what their religious background, believe was written no earlier than about the 14th or 15th century. And as we'll see, there's good evidence for that, and we'll present that evidence in a moment. But this pretends to be the story of Jesus written by Barnabas, the Barnabas who traveled with the Apostle Paul. But what is absolutely unique about the Gospel of Barnabas is that it presents a direct parallel to all the claims about Jesus that is found within the Islamic faith. And so it is used widely by those who would say, see, this is the original story of Jesus and the gospel stories, were, were, they came later. They are not as real as the gospel of Barnabas. Now, of course, the gospel of Barnabas is about three times longer than any of the canonical, than all the canonical gospels put together. It is a very, very large work. Uh, and the question that one must ask is, is there any reason at all to believe that the apostle Barnabas wrote a gospel about which we know nothing until the 15th, 16th century, only a relative small period of time ago in comparison 
to the canonical Gospels. Is there any reason to believe that this work has any historical validity at all? I would like to suggest to you that there is none. But how do we go about establishing this? Well, I would like to, first of all, compare and contrast the presentation of Barnabas as an individual found in the Gospel of Barnabas with the presentation of Barnabas that is found primarily in the book of Acts. Almost all the information we have about Barnabas is found in the book of Acts. And when we go to the book of Acts, written by the Apostle Luke, we see that Barnabas was a man who worked with the Apostle Paul in the presentation of the gospel. Now, in the gospel of Barnabas, this writer attacks the Apostle Paul and says he was deceived. Deceived about what? Well, deceived about Jesus being the Son of God. Deceived about the issue of how a person is saved. He was deceived about the, the entire gospel itself. And so the gospel of Barnabas attacks Paul, but in the book of Acts, we have Paul and Barnabas together. They eventually do split from one another. They have strong contention over the gospel in no way. The issue that causes Paul and Barnabas to split up and to go separate directions, still preaching the same message, was over a personal issue uh, about whether Paul should allow a particular individual to come with them on another missionary journey. Barnabas said he should. Paul, because he had abandoned them in an earlier missionary journey, felt that he should not. They had a personal dispute over this, and so they went separate ways. They had no dispute over Jesus being the Son of God. They had no dispute over how a person was saved. But someone might say, well, that's just because Luke changed all those things. Well, let's remember something. We know that the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts comes from the first century. There is no question of the fact that the first century is the birthplace of the book of Acts, which tells us that Barnabas believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that Barnabas believed in the gospel of faith, that we are saved by grace through faith alone. That comes from the first century. We have manuscripts demonstrating this. We have citations from all sorts of sources from the first century onward that demonstrate that Acts is a primitive document that goes back to the time of the lifetime of the eyewitnesses of these events. There can be no question of that. What evidence do we have that the gospel of Barnabas existed in the first century? Absolutely, positively, none. None whatsoever. There is an epistle of Barnabas that some people make reference to, but we possess the epistle of Barnabas, and it has nothing to do with what the gospel of Barnabas speaks about at all. There is no relationship whatsoever between the gospel of Barnabas and the epistle of Barnabas. And one of the sad things is, I have seen writers attempting to defend the gospel of Barnabas who have made reference to the epistle of Barnabas as if it were the same thing. They are not the same books. We possess the ancient epistle of Barnabas. We know what it says. And it has nothing to do whatsoever with the modern gospel of Barnabas and any of the things that it addresses. And so we have nothing from the first century. We have nothing from the second century. We have nothing from the third century. Clearly, if this work was in existence, if this work was being read by people, and it gives a completely different view of Jesus, 
there would have been so much discussion of this. Because remember, the Christian faith is a persecuted religion. There are people writing entire books attacking the Christian faith. So if this book was in existence, it would have been a gold mine of information to demonstrate that the Christians had been deceived and misled. But no one shows any familiarity with it at all. The first reference to anything called the Gospel of Barnabas comes about somewhere toward the end of the 5th century. And what we have there is we have a list of books. Tradition says it was produced by the Bishop of Rome, Galatius. Some people say it may have come about earlier. Some people may have come out a little bit later, that it might have been a private list. We're not certain, but most people refer to it as Galatius' list of prohibited books. He makes reference to a gospel of Barnabas. He does not give any information whatsoever about it. There are no citations about it. And in all probability, he may be referring to the epistle of Barnabas or something along those lines. But there is nothing, no citations that are made, no evidence that is given. No one in that time period says anything more about it. And again, from that point onward, no discussion of it as we go from century to century to century. No evidence of this book. And then all of a sudden, the Gospel of Barnabas is found in an Italian translation. Not Greek, not Latin, not any of the ancient languages. And in fact, scholars who've examined it see no evidence whatsoever that this is a translation of any ancient language at all. And so what evidence exists then positively that we should put the gospel of Barnabas on the same level as the Acts of the Apostles, because these two cannot both be true. One gives us a picture of Barnabas completely different than that of the other one. And so upon what basis are we to weigh them? The Acts of the Apostles, all sorts of historical evidence that it goes back to the actual time frame that it discusses. But when we come to the gospel of Barnabas, we do not have a single shred of historical reason to see this as coming from the first century. What we do have are all sorts of reasons to believe that this book is a fraud. It was written by someone specifically seeking to deceive others. The nature of the evidence is wide-ranging. We have errors in regards to the person's knowledge of the geography and context of the ancient world, which is exactly what you would expect of a person writing in the Middle Ages if they are trying to pretend that they were writing an ancient work, if they had never been to uh, the ancient world. And in fact, most of the cities that were described, especially the towns and villages, would have been destroyed by that time. They would make mistakes in regards to geography. There are all sorts of errors in regards to politics and military battles and the, the flora and the fauna of what you would find, the, the plants and animals of what you would find in ancient Israel. Errors on all these issues. But there are also all sorts of other indications that the gospel of Barnabas does not come from the time of Barnabas. It is a medieval forgery created specifically to deceive people. So what I'd like to give you is just a listing of the contradictions and errors that we find in the gospel of Barnabas. And you take these and you compare them 
with the, and realizing that we have no evidence of its ancient existence, but we have all this evidence of the, not only the ancient existence of Luke's historical writing called the Acts of the Apostles, but as we've mentioned before, modern archeological research has demonstrated that Luke was tremendously accurate in the uh, historical accounting that he gives, the exact opposite of what we have in the Gospel of Barnabas. And if all of this is true, then no truth-loving person should ever embrace the Gospel of Barnabas as having any historical relevance whatsoever to the creation of an understanding of who Jesus Christ was. For example, in the Gospel of Barnabas, Jesus addresses Barnabas as if he's one of his disciples. Barnabas actually comes along later in the historical works, but Jesus addresses Barnabas and he says, be not sore grieved Barnabas for those whom God hath chosen before the creation of the world shall not perish. Well, there's a little bit of a problem here. A little bit of a problem is where the name Barnabas came from. According to the Acts of the Apostles, Barnabas's original name was Joseph. He was called Barnabas because he was the son of encouragement. Remember what he did when Paul uh, came seeking to find the disciples in Jerusalem and to fellowship with them? They hid from him because they knew that Paul had killed, Jew, uh, killed Christians in the past. And it was Barnabas who took him and, and vouched for him and said, no, he's, he's, he's become one of us. He's become a disciple. And so he was called Barnabas. But you see, that takes place after the resurrection of Christ. He wasn't called Barnabas during the ministry of Christ. But the gospel of Barnabas refers to him in that way and even has Jesus address him by a name he would not receive until much later. In fact, it's also interesting to note that when Barnabas took uh, the apostle uh, Paul, of course Saul at that time, to the disciples, he did so and he vouched for him that he was a disciple. But what was it that uh, Paul had been teaching that Bar Barnabas is, is aware of and that he says to the disciples, this man is truly a disciple? Well, if you go back and look at Acts chapter 9, what Paul had been preaching was that Jesus is the Son of God. The real Barnabas believed Jesus was the Son of God, and he knew that Paul was teaching that Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't have any problems with that, but of course, in the Gospel of Barnabas, in the later fraud, Jesus is not called the Son of God. So why would Barnabas have said, this man is a true disciple? It again, is a contradiction found within the text. You know, all through the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas together defend the gospel of grace. Certain Judaizers, for example, had come among the early Christians stating that circumcision was necessary for salvation. Who do we find responding to them, debating against them, entering into sharp contention with them, but Paul and Barnabas? The gospel of Barnabas would tell us, no, that's an actual lie. But the fact is that when you go into history, you discover that this was the true Barnabas and the only Barnabas that, has, that we have any knowledge of from the first century. When Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 3.1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Well, who was with Paul when he preached the crucifixion of Jesus to the, to the churches in Galatia? It was Barnabas once again. No worse person could have been chosen 
by the medieval forger than Barnabas to try to make the presentation that Paul was a deceiver because Paul and Barnabas were together in their teaching. Now, another uh, very well-known blunder on the part of the forgery called the Gospel of Barnabas is that the book constantly denies that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, that's odd because everyone involved in the controversy at the time admitted that Jesus was the Messiah. But the writer of this book was ignorant of the fact that the word Messiah in Hebrew, Mashiach, in Greek is Christos or Christ. So when a person says Jesus Christ, they're simply saying Jesus is the Messiah. And so this is something that Barnabas certainly would have known because according to the Bible, Barnabas is from Cyprus and the language of Cyprus was Greek. So he would have known what Christ means. And yet in the gospel of Barnabas, while denying that Jesus is the Messiah, Barnabas refers to Jesus Christ. Now, this is never something that a Greek-speaking person could ever have done, but it is something that a person who's working with the Bible in, say, an Italian translation or maybe even a Latin translation might not be aware of. They might not be aware of the fact that Messiah is one word, Christ is the same word, but in the Greek language. And so here you have a rather large blunder on the part of the Gospel of Barnabas, uh, to deny that Jesus is the Messiah, but then refer to Jesus Christ, which would be the very same word. Not only that, but the author of the Gospel of Barnabas has taken out the ministry of John the Baptist and has turned Jesus into one who's prophesying the coming of another prophet in the future. And yet when he does so, he doesn't seem to realize that he is introducing all sorts of anachronisms into the text. What's an anachronism? An anachronism is reading into an ancient text concepts that would not have been there originally because they hadn't yet developed. They weren't yet something that anyone would have understood. So if you, for example, are familiar with uh, the Mormon religion, you may be aware of the fact that its founder, Joseph Smith, inserted prophecies about himself into the text of the Bible even though that resulted in uh, the assertion that ancient Hebrew works were, were, were containing prophecies about an American prophet that would come three or 4,000 years down the road and would have had no meaning whatsoever to the original audience. The same type of thing happens in the Gospel of Barnabas. But then as we read through this huge work, we find telltale evidence of its later composition. One that many people have noted would go past most of us. I admit it probably would have gone past me if I was not reading critical works on the subject. It has to do with what was called the Jubilee year. That's something that's very unusual to us today. But in the Old Testament, we know of the Jubilee year. And that was a, a concept that was continued on for quite some time, even into European history. A jubilee year was the 50th year, Leviticus 25, 11 tells us in the Bible. What most people don't realize is that around the year 1300, Pope Boniface VIII gave a decree that changed the way the jubilee year was calculated. 
In essence, instead of every 50 years, the Jubilee year was changed to every 100 years, every century. This took place in 1300 A.D. Now, later, one of the following popes, about 40 or 50 years later, changed it back to 50 years. But for a number of decades, the Jubilee year was every 100 years. Only happened one time. Only happened one time in history. Now, it is interesting to note then what the Gospel of Barnabas says. It says, And then through all the world will God be worshipped and mercy received, insomuch that the year of Jubilee, which now cometh every hundred years, shall by the Messiah be reduced to every year in every place. Now remember, only one time in history did the Jubilee year change from every 50 years to every 100 years, and that was only after the year 1300. So no matter what else we say about the Gospel of Barnabas, it could not have been produced prior to the year 1300. Most feel around 1500 to 1550 to 1584 as the actual time of the composition of this particular book. But here we have this evidence found from history itself, and I admit most of us, would probably not have recognized that particular element of history uh, because it's not exactly a well-known fact. There's also what we would call the medieval environment of the Gospel of Barnabas. Uh, for example, uh, you read this in the text, Behold then how beautiful is the world in summertime, when all things bear fruit. The very peasant intoxicated with gladness by reason of the harvest that has come, maketh the valleys and mountains resound with his singing, for that he loveth his labors supremely, reading from the Gospel of Barnabas. Well, that sounds wonderful if you live in Italy. That sounds wonderful if you live in the medieval world of Europe. It doesn't sound overly wonderful if you happen to live in Palestine in the first century. Why? Because that's not when things are growing. That's spring and fall. The summertime is the dry time, and that is before you have the kind of lush, beautiful valleys that you'll have in the summers in medieval Europe. So the writer seems to be much more familiar, and it's very common. This is very common when detecting forgeries for people to project what they are accustomed to within their context back into ancient context, and that's how we determined. That's how we were able to recognize many of the forgeries that were very commonplace at this time in history. It's a sad thing to recognize, but there are those who will write these things, and some do so for... For uh, fictional reasons, others do so simply to deceive others. And that's what we have in the Gospel of Barnabas. But some of the greatest flaws of the Gospel of Barnabas we have yet actually to address. These are flaws of history, flaws of theology as well. And because this book has become so important to certain people, and because it has, it has been given such wide distribution and has been presented as if it somehow was, it is far more important than even the canonical Gospels for knowing who Jesus Christ was. We don't want to rush this information. We want to document this information very carefully because especially believers, when others come to us and say, well, you've been deceived in believing in what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John said, we need to be able to, with, with honesty and integrity, respond and say, no, wait a minute. These go back to the first century. These are consistent with the first century context. What you're presenting to me 
is very different. It is, in, it is in contradiction with history itself. And if we are all lovers of truth, then we want to know what the truth of these issues are. So we'll continue our examination of the Gospel of Barnabas in our next section. Thank you.